0: Benny Goodman took off on this cross-country tour that was going miserably um, because uh, nobody was responding to it. Or if they were, the promoters were telling him, don't play that jazz stuff. man. You know, don't do that. And he got to the Palomar Ballroom on the West Coast and uh, was trying not to play that jazz stuff. And the kids were just all sitting there. And he was surprised because the line was around the block. And that surprised him in the first place. Uh, And then when he said, the heck with it, we're going to play, you know, some of these, you know, jazz charts and they started and the kids went nuts. or through later, he was at Carnegie Hall, which was the first time jazz had ever been played uh, in Carnegie Hall. And the first time there were any African-Americans on stage. So, yeah, that was a it was a huge event. And of course, everybody fell in love, except for the critics, uh, with Gene Krupa's drum solo and sing, sing, sing. I mean, that was, you know, the big thing it was like eight minutes or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't know any of that history and certainly didn't learn that till much later. Um, but, uh, you know, you could think of worse entrees into the world of jazz.
1: yeah speaking further about our musical heritage and your family heritage and record collection you talked about your your parents and your family kind of getting hip to the bossa nova craze in kind of the next generation of music makers with people like stan getz
0: well it actually was stan getz i mean my i grew up in ithaca new york i was a cornell university faculty brat and my parents used to have uh you know lots of parties and uh, we could always tell how great the parties were. I could the next morning by going down and seeing how many cigarettes had been lit at the wrong end, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, but there was a very hip couple uh, who got turned on to uh, the Bossa Nova thing and the original uh, gets and Birds stuff very early and gave the records to my parents. And it wasn't really one of the first two. The first one that really got me, because I'd listened to this stuff as it came in the house, uh, it was called Get to Belgo. And it was a live recording at the Cafe Go in New York. And it featured Gary Burton, who was very, very young at the time. And I just kind of, I fell in love with Getz's sound um, on the saxophone and uh, just played that record over and over again. And one of my favorite stories is that many, many years later, uh, I had a chance to uh, work with Getz um, and emcee an event at a uh, club in Buffalo. And we're standing backstage, and he's got a saxophone around his neck. I, never, I don't think I've ever seen him without a saxophone around his neck. And I mentioned uh, one of the songs on that record. I said, do you remember this? And he said, yeah. And he started playing it. Just for me. I mean, this is a record that I listened to when I was like 10 years old. And here's Stan Getz, and it just floored me.
1: Speaking with John Penny, John is your host for Jazz Fest Detroit, Saturday nights at 7 o'clock on, on WRCJ. Uh, John, you are really touching my heart now with some of these <laughs> recordings that you're talking about. You, with Stan Getz, you make me think about one of my favorite recordings with uh, Oscar Gilberto. Uh, the, the next artist uh, that was a big influence on you I can remember listening to the groundbreaking recording from the late 1950s, Mingus Aum, for the first time, and being just completely blown away by Fables of Fabus, Better Get It In Your Soul. I would submit Open Letter to Duke as one of the hardest swinging recordings (laughs) in, in jazz history.
0: I started as a jazz broadcaster when I was 15, uh, I really got thrown into the deep end of the pool. Um, I inherited this show at uh, Cornell's commercial 3000 watt radio station, WZBR, which stood for Voice of the Big Red or Very Bad Radio, depending on who you talk to. Uh, but when the guy who had started that show um, left the university I inherited it not because I knew so much about jazz just enough to be dangerous but that I'd actually taken the trouble to go get an FCC third class license so I could sign the transmitter for it. so and the station had a marvelous jazz library it was probably you know my dad's was two feet this may have been 200 linear feet and I just started going through it and the first record I found was uh, Mingus, Mingus 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 which was a uh, impulse recording uh, and I listened through it and it, And I started listening to more. And the thing about Mingus that got me was that this music touched me so viscerally first. I mean, it hit me in the gut and in the heart, while at the same time having an incredible intellectual quality to it. I mean, it hit here and it hit here. And I don't think I've ever heard music by any other musician that's been that powerful uh, in hitting those buttons, so to speak. So um, I was a lifelong fan of, of Charles Mingus, still am, obviously. And uh, yeah, I just, what can I say? I listened to him constantly. I played him constantly. And, you know, I started going back and, and hearing stuff. But Mingus Um of course, was a huge one. Uh, but then uh, know that there was a tune called The Fables of Salvis which on Columbia was an instrumental because they wouldn't let him do the lyrics, obviously. Columbia has always been a fairly uh, conservative company going back to its founding. Uh, but then when I found the version, the original Fables of Favis with the lyrics, it's like, okay. Luke
1: <laughs> LaClan <laughs> may meet someone ridiculous, Danny. Come on! Why is he so sick and ridiculous? He won't it! I'll say this, school! Then he's a fool! Oh. Tell me why Herbie Hancock has been one of the most influential artists in your musical life.
0: Yeah, I think if I had to choose one, he'd be at the top of the list. I mean, when I started uh, my first radio show back in Ithaca, uh, 1967-68, I was first uh, grabbed by a new release that was called uh, Speak Like a Child, and I did the show on Saturday night, and there was a show on Friday night that started, New Guy Came, and he called it Baden Voyage. And as I started investigating, it's the name of a Herbie Hancock sound uh, tune, half the radio stations in the country that played jazz had shows that were called *Naden Voyage. So, I mean, there was that immediate impact. And then, you know, as music was progressing at that time, I mean, we were entering the fusion age, every step along the way, as I've, you know, my taste has evolved and my knowledge of the music has evolved, Kirby's been there somewhere in the world, uh, you know, doing something very, very special.
1: John Penny hosts Jazz Fest Saturday nights at seven on WRCJ. John, I want to thank you for sharing your stories and insight on great music today.
0: Well, I want to thank you for asking me to do so, and it's always a pleasure, and it's also a great honor and a privilege and a responsibility, I think, to be able to sit in that chair down at WRCJ and play this music for people. Hopefully it makes them feel good.
1: For WRCJ, I'm Peter Warren.